Good morning, church. It's been a while since I posted anything to my YouTube channel, and last week I posted a new video there. And I thought that it might make a lot of sense for me to also try the podcast thing. Um, basically, what I want to do is I believe God has put a lot of stuff on my heart, and I want to make sure I have the proper platform to share it with the people who would benefit from it the most. And so I want to start today by just basically recording the gist of what my video was last week. This isn't just an audio copy of that video. This is an actual different recording. I'm recording it on a different day. And um, I, I want you to know these things are still on my heart. But So I want to start by just letting you know what this podcast thing is going to be all about. Like the YouTube video channel, I'm calling it Good Morning Church. And I'm planning to have each one of my videos or podcasts or whatever come out in the morning sometime. I don't know if it's going to be once a week or twice a week or, or what. or Whenever it does, it will come out in the morning so you can listen to it while you exercise or while you're having your morning coffee or even play it in the car when you take your kids to school. I don't know if it's going to be me talking off the cuff or if it's going to be me reading from a script or interviewing other people. Uh, basically, I'm not exactly sure how this is all going to play out, and so you're going to be part of the journey with me. But in that, all of those senses together, it's kind of a good morning channel. It's a channel for a fresh something or other. But that's not really what the title is all about. A long time ago, when I started making these videos during the early stages of the coronavirus pandemic, I called them Good Morning Church just because that was the first line that I said in the videos, because I was recording them in the mornings. But since that time, I've grown a lot, and I've begun to realize that the phrase Good Morning Church implies something about you and I as members of Christ's global church. It implies that we need to wake up. Now, now this is an interesting thing, because we live in a society today where there's a key word that has become kind of a bad word, and that word is wokeness, or being woke. It's usually used in the context of someone who is overplaying racial issues in the society. It used to be a person who was becoming aware of the racism in our society, and then lately it has turned into more of a pejorative term against the people who are talking about racism as if it's a really thing. But what fascinates me the most is that being awake is a generally positive thing, whether it's being woke or wakeful or waking up, it doesn't really matter what term you use to talk about it. I think it's pretty clear that according to the Bible, we all need to wake up in a lot of ways. Today, I want to show you uh, three passages. Well, it's really three different authors from the Bible who are talking about wakefulness in some powerful ways. The first one comes from a couple passages in Isaiah. Now, the whole book of Isaiah is long, and it's hard to get the picture of the whole book at once, but there are a few major themes running throughout the whole book. One of those major themes is the theme of the suffering of God's people and the restoration he promises in the future. Uh, it's a theme that people who are broken and hurting 
need to realize the blessings of God. Sometimes they need to realize it because they need to open their eyes to see the blessings that are already there. Sometimes they need to realize it because they haven't shown up yet and they're begging for God to reveal them. But we pick up one of those passages in Isaiah 26. It says this in verse 17, As a pregnant woman about to give birth writhes and cries out in her pain, so were we in your presence, Lord. We, according to them, were destined to accomplish something. They say, as a pregnant woman was about to give birth and she's crying in pain, we were that way in your presence. Now, maybe they're talking about the fact that they were suffering and they were in pain. But they were suffering and in pain like a pregnant woman, which means they were suffering and in pain because there was something that was about to come out of them. They were about to give birth to something. They were destined to accomplish something with their lives. And if we keep reading, we find out what that is. Verse 18, they say, we were with child. We writhed in labor, but we gave birth to wind. That phrase indicates for us that they gave birth to nothing. They were supposed to accomplish something with their lives, but they actually gave birth to nothing. What is it that they were supposed to do that they didn't do? What was it that they failed? Well, the very next sentence in this verse tells us. Verse 18, the second half, says, We have not brought salvation to the earth, and the people of the world have not come to life. You see, what's fascinating is that these people in Isaiah's day, Isaiah chapter 26, what Isaiah is writing about them is that they were the kind of people who were supposed to bring salvation to the earth. They were the kind of people who were supposed to bring life to the rest of the world. And yet, even though they suffered and struggled and had all these pains in front of God, they actually did nothing. They gave birth to wind. They went through all of the gyrations of doing something that looked like labor, but nothing came of it. They appeared to be productive, but they weren't. Anyway, uh, these people are in dire straits. Now, I, I, I want to make a quick comment, first of all, just to recognize that this is the Old Testament. And these people, according to Isaiah, had the job of bringing salvation to the earth. These people, according to Isaiah, had the job of bringing life to the world. I find that fascinating as a New Testament Christian. But maybe we'll come back to that a little bit later. Anyway, verse 19 is where the whole wakefulness thing actually shows up. Verse 19 says, Isaiah says, But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Even though you and I haven't been giving birth, even though these people in Isaiah's day haven't been giving birth to life, even though these people haven't brought salvation to the earth, we still know that the earth will give birth. Why? Because God is a God of resurrection. See, this is the thing Isaiah is trying to turn their attention to. He's trying to tell his people that they had a job to do and they failed. But that's okay, because God is the God who raises the dead. God is the God who raises the dead. 
And so Isaiah says, let those who dwell in the dust wake up. All of you who were unproductive, it was as if you were dead. You didn't bring life to the rest of the world, and so you need to wake up. But beyond that, you didn't bring life to the rest of the world, but God still can. God still has the power of raising the dead to life. So for Isaiah, yeah, it was kind of a challenge to the people of his day. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up. Uh, Metaphorically, he's asking for the people of his own day to wake up. But actually, he's living out a promise. He's understanding a promise from God that there is going to be a day when resurrection really comes when the dead really will come to life. When the earth gives birth to its dead. For Isaiah, it was a promise. But for you and for me, it actually has already come true. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus proves that God is the God of resurrection. God is the one who can wake someone up who was previously dead. The work God plans to do in the world, he can still do. He can bring life to us, and through us, he can still bring life to others. And so, for Isaiah, it might have just been a promise. I think it was also a challenge, but for us, definitely, it is a challenge. For us who live on the other side of resurrection, we understand that the the job of the people of God to bring salvation to the earth hasn't changed. In fact, it has increased. And the ability and power that we have to bring life to the world is stronger now than it ever was before. Because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus, we recognize that this is the work of God in the world. Waking up means realizing that God is the God who raises the dead, that God is the God who wakes people up from death. And so I need to wake up. I need to receive the life God is giving. I need to receive the resurrection power that God has already provided. I need to embrace it. I need to walk in it. And then the implication is clear. I need to be one of those who brings salvation to the earth. And the people of the world need to hear life from me. It's fascinating to me that this was the job of the people of Israel, and it is even more the job for those of us who follow Jesus, the one who said, go into all the world and make disciples, the one who said, anyone who believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. We need to receive it. We need to embrace it. And so therefore, waking up means allowing the resurrection power of God to take hold in your life and embracing your role as an agent of resurrection power in this world. Whether for the first time or the hundredth time, I want you right now to receive the resurrection of Jesus. Embrace that resurrection power. Commit to being an agent of it. Now, the second passage I want to take you to is also in Isaiah. So it's still the same author. I told you there'd be three authors. The second one is still by Isaiah. And this one is in Isaiah 60, verse 1. The reason this one is interesting to me is that it is quoted in the New Testament. And it says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. This passage is written in the context of people who are suffering and hurting, 
people who are longing for the salvation of God, people who are longing for the work of God to be evident in their lives. And Isaiah says, here's the prophecy coming to fulfillment, arise, wake up, get up, because the light has come. Even though the world is dark, the glory of the Lord rises on you. Even though thick darkness covers all the people, God is rising and putting his glory on you. And so because the glory of the Lord is on you, you can stand up in the midst of the darkness of this world. Yes, this world is a dark place, but you and I are not captive to it. The light of God is shining on us, the light is shining over us, and we need to wake up, arise, and walk in that light. Now, I don't know about you, maybe you're in one of those places where you sort of feel like you've tried your best and it hasn't worked. You've tried to bring salvation to someone else. You've tried to bring life to this world. You look at the world around you, you just see it as a place filled with darkness and you're frustrated with all the different things that you see that don't seem to fit with the kingdom of God. And you're just in that place of sort of resignation and I'm not going to bother with it because I've tried too hard. I'm just going to try to get through one more day. Maybe I'll just sleep through this day. Maybe I'll just disengage for this day. Well, Isaiah 60 would say, get up, arise, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises on you. So here it is. The first definition we have of being woke is in the book of Isaiah. It's a very clear picture of waking up to receive the light and life that God is giving you. Just like every morning you receive the light of the sun and you embrace the life of the breath that God is giving you. Waking up means receiving the light and life that God is giving you and then bringing that light and life to others. Being awake doesn't just mean sitting in your bed all day long. Being awake means getting up and living the life that matters, living the life that makes a difference, living the life that does something for the people in this world. It means living out your purpose, receiving the light and life that God is giving you, and then bringing that light and life to others. Now, the second passage that we're going to look at, the second author that we're going to look at, is in Romans 13. It's the author, the Apostle Paul. And he says something very interesting about this light and life and waking up kind of metaphor. Take a look at this. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, that's interesting because you, you thought I was talking about being awake. You thought I was talking about, you know, being biblically woke and what that's all about. And here, Paul is just talking about something that we've all heard all the time. He's saying that love is the fulfillment of the law. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, there's two commandments, love God, love your neighbor. There's really just one commandment because the two of them together fulfill everything in the Old Testament. And Paul is saying the same thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Jeff, we already knew that. Well, 
take a look because I read that just so you would have the context for the next verse we read. Verse 11, Paul says, and do this. Do what? Do the love. But he says, do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, When I read the whole passage, I'm sure that your mind probably went to one of two different places. Maybe you got the idea when I said this present time or the present time or the hour has come and our salvation is near. Maybe you thought about the return of Christ. Maybe you're thinking about end times stuff. Maybe you're wondering about, you know, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Maybe you thought about uh, the rapture, if you believe in the doctrine of the rapture. Uh, Maybe you thought about one of those things. Or, as I continued to read, maybe you got into the whole thinking about what it means to behave decently. And maybe you heard the list of things like, don't get drunk and don't engage in sexual immorality and don't party too hard. And don't, you know, maybe you heard that list. Or maybe you heard the phrase, put on the armor of light, and you're thinking about all these traditional Christian tropes that you have learned throughout your life. But I want to point out something to you. You see, Paul just said, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. What what does he mean by that? The reason, according to Paul, the reason it's so important for us to love is because the hour has come for us to wake up from our slumber. The reason it's so important for us to love is because our salvation is nearer now than when we believed. It's because the day is already here or nearly here. You see, you were right. Paul is talking about the return of Jesus. Paul wants you and me to be ready for the return of Jesus. That's what he means when he uses the word salvation and says it's almost here. One of these days, Jesus will come back and our future salvation will become present reality. And even though the day is almost here, the hour to wake up has already come. See, Paul wants you to set your alarm clock to ring before the sun rises, because there's work that needs to be done before the sun rises, before Jesus returns. And it's the work of our purification. We need to put aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light, behave decently. You know, it's the work of our own purification, but it's more than that. It's the work of our representing Christ. Did you see verse 14 or hear it? He said, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourselves with Christ. See, he didn't say put on the armor of light to say you need to be wearing armor for battle. He is talking about the clothing of Jesus himself. It's kind of like 
If you have ever been to a college sports event and or maybe even a professional event where there was some mascot dressed up or maybe you went to to Disneyland and there was some character dressed up. I remember when I was a when I was a young dad, we had taken my children to Walt Disney World in Florida. And while we were there, uh, we stood in line for quite a significant amount of time so that my son Charlie could meet um, Winnie the Pooh and Tigger, who were there in front of the Splash Mountain area. And and so we, we go there, we stand in line, we wait through the line, we get to the front, and my son had a piece of paper where he asked Tigger to sign. And Tigger signed T-I-G-G-E-R on that piece of paper. Now, this is the fascinating thing. There was a dude inside that costume. My son, I don't think he knew it at the time. Maybe he was not even thinking about the fact. But there, there was a human being inside that costume who I can guarantee you had a name that was not Tigger. But when he was in that costume and my son wanted a signature, the name signed on the piece of paper was Tigger, not whatever his real name is. Because the idea was he was fully representing the character of Tigger in that moment. He was not representing himself. And Paul says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. When people walk up to you and they ask you for your signature, you should be able to sign Jesus Christ and have them believe you. There's something about this metaphor of us wearing Jesus that is both challenging and also immensely freeing. It's the idea that even though I have all of this darkness and dirt associated with me and who I am, I can just wrap myself up with Jesus. And that's how God sees me. That's how the world should see me. It's both incredibly encouraging. This is how God sees me and incredibly challenging. This is how the world needs to see me. But Paul puts all this in the context of loving your neighbor, looking like Jesus. Loving your neighbor and looking like Jesus. Pretty simple, really. Waking up means embracing the identity of Christ in the midst of this dark night before he comes back because the time is almost up. The time is almost up for us to bring light and life to these other people. The time is almost up for us to love these other people. We are running out of the night. The day is almost here. And the only time we can bring effective love to someone else is if they are already in a dark place and we are bringing the light and life of God to them. And if the darkness goes away, then there's no more opportunity to bring the light. When Jesus comes back, there's no more opportunity for us to share the light and the love of Jesus with the world. And so what it means to be awake is realizing that we're running out of time. And so we wake up, we embrace the light and life of God, and we bring that light and life to others. Wait, wait. You know, that sounds exactly the same as what Isaiah had said. Maybe the New Testament isn't that different from the Old Testament. Well, anyway, I'm going to take you to a third passage by a third author. And this one, I think, is the most convicting of them all. It's in the book of Revelation, and it's a passage where John records the very words of Jesus himself. So, it's John writing it down, 
but Jesus is the actual author. It says this, Revelation 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. This is just the introductory thing to remind us that Jesus is totally in charge. Jesus is the one with all the authority in heaven and on earth. He's the one who's got the power of God and the power of the cosmos in his hands. And so what he says is something to pay attention to. And this is what he says to the church in Sardis. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Man, what a challenging statement. Here are these people, and they've invested hard in getting a good reputation. They've done a lot of deeds, and a lot of people look at them as if they're really active, as if they're really alive, as if they're really accomplishing some good things. Man, it's like they're laboring and laboring and laboring, but Jesus says, nope, nothing has come of it. You're really just dead. Verse 2, he says, wake up strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Huh. That's an interesting metaphor. People who have done a lot of activity, who've who've labored hard, who've gotten a good reputation of all of their labor, and yet what they've actually accomplished is unfinished. You can almost imagine it's like a pregnant woman who's going through all this labor and just gives birth to nothing. If you remember that metaphor. But verse 3, Jesus says, Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. And I know when I read that last line, there's a part of you that's thinking, oh yeah, this is another one of those rapture passages. Jesus coming back, he's going to come like a thief. And this idea that Jesus coming like a thief is somehow a good thing has infected Christian society somehow. I'm not exactly sure. But the idea of Jesus coming like a thief is completely not an encouraging statement to these people. It's a threat. You see, a thief doesn't enter your house to take you to Disneyland. That's not how thieves work. Thieves enter your house to take your favorite things away from you. And Jesus says, if you don't wake up, I'm going to sneak into your house and I'm going to get some stuff you love and I'm going to take it away. What is is he going to take away? Is it a threat he's going to take away their eternal reward? Is he going to take away their church family? I don't know. I'm not exactly sure all the details of what he's going to take away and what it means for him to be a thief. What I know is that it's a statement of judgment. And he says, if you don't wake up now, I will surprise you by coming like a thief. It's a threat. All because these people had the reputation of something great, but according to Jesus, they hadn't produced what they were supposed to produce. And so they need to wake up. This is Jesus telling a whole church that they need to wake up. They have lived outside of their purpose for long enough that they might as well be dead. And since they've been ineffective at their real purpose, Jesus might just wipe them out and be done with them. So in this context, being awake means realizing how wrong you've been, how ineffective you've been, how distracted you've been, how 
filled with activity you've been, even though you haven't accomplished much. Although you've done lots of things that look like life, there isn't really any life there. Your purpose has been languishing. But if waking up means getting back to your purpose, it means repenting of your life that you have been doing outside of God's will and getting back to the life of God's will, then this passage falls perfectly in line with the previous ones we've seen. It's a rehashing of the one in Isaiah 26. It's a reaffirmation of what Paul said. This, all of these passages have said the same thing. They've all, they've all used the concept of being awake as a concept of coming to a realization that God is offering you light and life, and you need to embrace it and live it and bring it to others. Biblical wokeness is that. It means receiving the light and life of Jesus, living it out personally, and bringing that resurrection power to others. May we remember that. Every time you watch one of my videos or listen to one of these podcasts or read something I've written, I hope this truth comes shining through. The idea that we need to wake up, or as Isaiah 60 says, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. If the glory of God is shining on you and me, then we should be shiny people indeed. I hope today you shine the light of God, knowing that God's light is already shining on you. Let's be people who wake up to this kind of life. Good morning, church. If you like this or you just want to support me, let me encourage you to do whatever your podcast app does to like this podcast. If you know someone else who might benefit from it, share it with them. Apparently, all the algorithms require interaction before they're willing to share a podcast with people. And so uh, if this is going to go anywhere... I need to get a lot of feedback from a lot of people to find out if they uh, are being blessed by it. I hope you're blessed by it, and I hope it's a way for me to shine a little bit of light and for you to shine a little bit of light in your day as well. Thanks so much for listening.